JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Find him on X, the formerly social media known as Twitter. From Brooklyn, New York, at PFF underscore Brad. Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus. He does join us. Give me some of your, from a Colts standpoint on Sunday, disappointments that you saw in what was an incredibly winnable game that they lost to the Rams in overtime. Yeah, you know, I think as the offense started to gel and figure things out, there were still some miscommunications. You know, there's that video going around of Anthony Richardson has Josh Downs, you know, running up the seam but has leverage to the outside of the boundary. Could have had a ton of room to run. Um, And I think he identifies the coverage, expects Downs to run out towards the sideline, and he turns up the seam into into two defenders' face. And and he throws the ball. It looks like a total misthrow. And I think if Downs was, was thinking the same way he was, it actually would have been a massive gain. So there are a couple little plays like that, obviously some missed throws as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a winnable game. It was an awesome comeback uh, against a football team in L.A. that I think is better than a lot of folks expected. Um, it, it was a tough loss after, after you know, really coming close. Yeah, I, I want to look at some of the numbers, too. Have you, have you crunched the numbers on the offensive line? I thought I saw the PFF numbers. You know, Blake Freeland had that first start on the left side um, in place of Bernard Ryman, who was out in concussion protocol. And evidently, from a pass-blocking standpoint, things did not go well grading-wise. It was a rough afternoon for Freeland, you know, who I think is going to become a good player out of BYU in a couple of years. Big body, good athlete. I think he will get there. He's a bit developmental, kind of just like, you know, Raymond was, and, and Raymond's playing better football this year. But, yeah, we had him allowing six pressures. He had a pass block grade below 20. Uh, you know, one of the sacks also credited to him as well. You know, the interior play, too. I mean, when you have, you know, uh, Ryan Kelly still on the lineup, and then Will Fries, I think, kind of has been the weak spot of this offensive line when he does play. Uh, they both, you know, allowed multiple pressures, three and five for those two guys respectively. So, yeah, that, that was tough because, look, Aaron Donald's going to dominate. We know that. But, I mean, these Rams edge rushers are, are last for us in pressures, last for us in pressure rate, last for us in pass rush grade. Like, they have one good player on the defensive line. Um, they, the tackles should have been able to win. You know, Braden Smith played well. But but you would have liked to see a little bit more from Blake Freeland. Was it a, a struggle? It was the second start at center for Wesley French in for Ryan Kelly, also out uh, with concussion protocol as, as well. What was his numbers like across the board blocking-wise? Yeah, so we have him with five pressures allowed uh, and a sack yeah. and a sub-50 pass block rate. So, yeah, it, it was a tough afternoon for him as well. Yeah, <laughs> Brett Spielberger of PFF. Seemed like it via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Now, I want your numbers and your thoughts 
on Anthony Richardson, and I'm assuming we would have to start in the second half because there wasn't much to go on either side of the football in the first half. But what did you think down the stretch out of him and then compare that to the entirety of the game with Richardson back at quarterback coming out of concussion protocol and missing a game last week in Baltimore? Yeah, there was a lot of good there. I mean, I think the throw, like the throw that really encapsulates why this guy went, went top five in the draft is when he's got a guy barreling down on him and he throws the ball to Alec Pierce down the right seam um, and, and delivers a beautiful throw. He had a nice throw over the middle uh, to Josh Downs between the numbers. Um, not pressured there, but a really nice throw on second and 19. If you remember, kind of late at the end of that first half, they're driving. His pocket presence to me is impressive. He stands in. He stands tall. Even though he did get pressured a ton in this game, I don't think he was bailing out of a lot of clean pockets. Like like you said, obviously there was not a lot of production. There were some inaccurate throws, some missed opportunities. But I still think you saw a lot of good, a lot of recognition of defenses, knowing where he wanted to go. You know, the execution has to follow. But I think cerebrally pre-snap and then some of the physical tools are just jumping off the charts, even in a down outing. Is is he been through the first four weeks here more impressive than you thought he was going to be? And then, because I, I thought C.J. Stroud, for the most part, from what I've seen, I didn't see week number one, and that looked to be a struggle, no doubt. But considering what he does not have around him, I think Stroud having that team at two and two, he's had really good performances too. How do you compare the two rookies at quarterback within the AFC South? Yeah, you know, I saw Richardson, uh, again, we've probably talked on this show, did not think he was as big of a project as he was made out to be. I think there are some things you need to clean up in his game, no question, but I think Shane Steichen understands how to design the offense to his strengths. Uh, let him hit on some of those deep shots, let him use his legs, uh, but I still am just, uh, I'm a fan of his pocket presence. He has good footwork. He, he aligns his feet and his shoulders to where he wants to throw the ball, so the inaccurate, his release, I think, is a little bit quicker, too. I know they worked on that his last year at Florida. Maybe the inaccuracy comes from a little bit lack of sometimes putting the proper touch on throws. You know, he's so strong and has this cannon arm, but sometimes you like to see him layer the ball, take a little bit of speed off of it, you know, kind of throw the off-speed pitch a little. But I think all of those things can, more so than bad footwork or bad progressions or bad eyes, I think you can fix those things. Um, look, CJ Stroud's been r- remarkable. I mean, truly, truly exceptional. They had four third-string offensive linemen playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense that was ninth in pressure rate coming into this game. He took zero sacks in the game. He was, he was getting the ball out quickly, in rhythm, on schedule to guys in space. Um, the first touchdown pass to Nico Collins was where only he could catch it. You know, you know, Stroud had a guy barreling down on him. He stood tall in the pocket, delivered a nice ball with good zip away from the the, the, the corner there. So, yeah, I mean, he's our fifth-highest-graded quarterback on third and fourth down, uh, averaging over nine yards per attempt on third down, which is second only to Patrick Mahomes. Um, he, he and Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator, have been remarkable through a month in Houston. I just think it's even more magnified. And it comes from the fact that we've actually you know, sat through a Texans game that he has played as well as he has, considering that he has really, outside of uh, Nico Collins, he's got zero around him, it seems. Yeah, I mean, rookie Tank Dell has been a fun player. I guess you're right. Uh, yeah, you know, I left him out, too. You're right. No, but, but I, I'm not even necessarily disagreeing with you. It's like if we're going to highlight as, as a big bonus, you know, a third-round rookie who's 5'8", 165, <laughs> and obviously he's – no, obviously, you know, he, he's overcoming that. Yeah. That's not supposed to be a dig necessarily, but you know what I mean. Though, like he has to get free releases kind of schemed up for him a little bit. He's not going to, 
you know, always be able to just beat press or, or battle with more physical corners. But I think that comes back to, and again, Stroud has been exceptional, but the, the Texans right now are second in the NFL in yards after the catch and yards after the catch per reception. They only trail the Miami Dolphins. What Bobby Slowick has done in getting players in space where they're moving when they catch the ball, and then it does come back to Stroud where he's not just accurate. He is throwing such pinpoint accurate throws that it, 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 it's boosting the yards after the catch for his playmakers. Um, it, yeah, they just, they've just been really, really good. Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus every Tuesday right here in the 4 o'clock hour here on the show. He's with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So give me this, your expectation, and, and whether it's going to be Sunday, which I can't imagine, but maybe it is, either Sunday or against Jacksonville or whenever the Jonathan Taylor return happens, what do you think he's going to be capable of adding to this Colts team and you know can he get back to what we saw the year before last and being just that dominant runner do you think he still has that in him is that a re- is a high level of play a reasonable expectation given the fact he hadn't played in in almost a year since last December I think it is. I mean, look, maybe there's some rust in the first game back. Maybe, you know, you he's not as patient waiting for holes to develop as we've seen from him or things like that. But um, I, I have no qualms that after one or two games, he's going to look like Jonathan Taylor. I think he's going to be fully, fully healthy. He obviously, you know, has taken a lot of time to get all the way there. You know, the pup, the pup list was, was partially contract-related. Again, I'm sure he was actually injured. But, you know, maybe it was a two-week injury, and they went to a full four to let him get fully healthy. But, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, he's in a contract year. He's trying to earn a big contract elsewhere. As mad as he wants to be at the team, and and that's a whole separate conversation, he still wants to put good football on tape. So you're going to have, I think, Shane Steichen understanding the leverage that that Anthony Richen provides in in a rushing attack. We've talked about, you know, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, whatever. When you have a quarterback that, that requires the team to have a linebacker spy, a safety spy, they flow to his direction up front on the defensive line, it makes things so much easier for the running backs. Uh, I think Taylor is going to have massive production right away. I, Brad, I, I, as far as being able, being able to carve out a path to where he gets maybe not all that he wants, either here or someplace else, I mean, can he, in, in the market era in which we're in at that position right now, can he carve out his own reasonable path and how he's going to get paid again, whether it's here or someplace else? Is that possible, or is it going to be a foregone conclusion that he's, he's going to have to take what he can get and not throw a fit? You know, I think maybe the one path forward is, you know, if he does reach unrestricted free agency and is not franchise tagged, look, we know it's hard for the position to get paid, even for the, the, the top internal, you know, extension candidates himself, Pollard, Barkley, Jake, Jacobs, whatever. But we also know the nature of free agency at the end of the day is you get a couple bidders in place and then you can drive prices up because once that team is in on that deal and wants to sign that player, they're willing to bend a little bit. And, you know, like the expression is D-plus talent gets A-plus money or, or whatever, you know, kind of the old adage is. So I'm not even saying he's B-plus talent. He's probably A-talent, um, you, you know, but that's the thing. is the, the biggest hindrance on the market is that they're negotiating with one team that has the franchise tag at their disposal and can basically say, we can pay you year to year until you're 28 years old. And then, you know, you're Dalvin Cook, you go sign for one year, and you're averaging two yards a carry in New York, like 
that is the, the tough reality. If he can be a free agent at 25, yeah, he should be able to do decently well. So Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus with us. All right, coming up on Sunday, Tennessee is in town, and they've had ownership of the Colts in recent history. The Colts have lost now seven consecutive at home, so it's certainly time to turn that around. And the way that it looks right now, maybe you can speak to this. It has been pretty good, certainly at home for the Titans, not so good on the road. What have been some of the the biggest differences between this Titans team on the road and then playing back in Nashville, other than what we already know about that fact in general? Yeah, you know, I think really for them it's just been the specific matchups they've had in those games. I know you look at Cincinnati and think that the team – even with it, with a hobbled burrow that could take advantage. But in reality, I think it's the exact opposite, where Tennessee is a top-five run defense in the NFL. They've been a top-five run defense in the NFL for the last, I don't know, five-plus years. They had allowed, allowed the most passing yards in the NFL last year. They allowed the second-most uh, completions on throws 20-plus yards downfield. They are getting beat over the top consistently by pretty much every offense they play. Burrow is still so injured with that calf that he can't scramble at all. He can't operate outside of structure, and that's where he hits a lot of those deep shots. You then, of course, lose T. Higgins to an injury You know, in the first half of that game. So I think this is going to be an Alec Pierce game. I think it's going to be a big Michael Pittman game as well. Um, you know, Use Josh Downs' uh, verticality in the slot. That's how you beat them. You, you can't you know, come in within yourself and say, oh, we're trying to stay ahead of the chains and, and get to third and manageable. No, take, take shots, try to be explosive in this offense, um, and, and I think you can pull it off because on the flip side, I mean, this, this Titans offensive line may be the worst unit in the NFL. They did play pretty well last week, but, I mean, Cleveland, they had 97 yards in the Cleveland game. Um, I, I think this defense for the Colts up front can cause a lot of problems for the Titans. Well, I was going to ask you that, too, regarding the line, because you kind of flipped a script 27-3 loss in Cleveland the week prior, and then, you know, Sunday they – win 27-3 over the Bengals. And it looked like, at least on paper, that they got Derrick Henry back going to where they, they hope Derrick Henry is going to be. Was that because of that offensive line? Was that your impression right there? Or was that more about the Bengals just looking so stinking lost right now? Yeah, I think that's the biggest part of it. I mean, Cincinnati does have a good front, but, it, I mean, the way Cleveland is playing right now is, you know, top five defensive line in the NFL type play. Um, Cincinnati, you know, this reworked secondary has been at times exploitable, and they are good players. And Zach Hill, their first-round pick last year, has made some plays in the backfield, has made some nice coverage plays, has really good recovery speed, uh, you know, when he plays back in the deep third at safety. But but I think you can pick on him a little bit. You know, the young corners out, out besides Shadobia Wouzier, who's coming off the torn ACL, um, you know, DJ Turner and, and, and Cam Taylor-Britt, like I think you can attack those guys a little bit as well. So, I think that's the big thing is just they were able to pick their spots. They moved the pocket a ton and were able to kind of get to the edge uh, against Cincinnati that they couldn't really do uh, against Cleveland. But, you know, I think with the rotation we see in Indianapolis for the dominance on the interior in particular, you know, that can maybe dominate this, this interior offensive line. I think that may even the bigger problem, the edge rushers. Um, and I think that's where you try to win this game. Uh, yeah, I don't think they've done much through the air so far. What's, What's been the stats for Tannehill? And, yeah, I mean, I, I know Hopkins, I think, led the team last week, but it wasn't uh, robust numbers whatsoever. Uh, what's What's been the threat through the air if they could find a threat through the air in these first four games? Sorry, for the Titans or for the Colts? For the Titans, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, their issue has been, look, DeAndre Hopkins hasn't been 100%, but also, you know, he, he's a – 
guy that can't really create separation. Yeah. You know, he is a contested catch guy. And Tannehill, I think, is building faith in him more and more as time goes on. But then, I mean, you know, the first rounder for them last year, Traylon Burks, I think even when healthy, might be behind Nick Westbrook, Kine, and Chris Moore in the pecking order in this offense, which is, you know, not a very good sign. I mean, those are replacement-level wide receivers with all due respect. So, uh, it's really not there. It's a ton of play action, and Tannehill's good throwing on the move. In a clean pocket, he'll stand in, take hits, and, and find plays. But if they don't get yards after the catch and make players miss in space, they, they really don't have much there. You know, a good one-two punch with Henry and Tajay Spears. But, you know, this passing attack, you know, week to week, it could have, you know, 50 yards or, or 300. Um, but, but there are games where they're going to struggle to do much at all through the air. Hey, Brad, I'm assuming this is some sort of analytics record. So you put up 70 and beat the Broncos the week prior. You give up 48 and lose on the road to the Bills this past Sunday. Is that some sort of analytics record with the Dolphins? It probably is. I mean, the 70 points is the most offensive points scored in a game in NFL history. I know some teams had more total points, but that included defense and special teams. So that already was a, a one-of-one record, and then you turn around and get a, you know, a near Give up 48. I wish they'd have given up yeah. 50. That would have made it better to talk about, I think, if they would have given you're up right. 50. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but you're probably right either way. I, I would imagine that, that that is probably a record. All right, the Colts are going to see the Browns later on this season, too. No Deshaun Watson. We found that out right before game time, and the Ravens rolled over Cleveland. What's their injury situation across the board with Watson, the quarterback, and, you know, Miles Garrett's been dinged up as well. Uh, we know about the Nick Chubb situation. What, what is their landscape looking like in terms of injuries in Cleveland? Yeah, so you know, all the guys you just mentioned, you know, a couple of Nixon bruises here and there in the secondary for them as well. I think the issue for them, really, I mean, look, you lose right tackle Jack Conklin. That is a very, very big loss. They do like their rookie in Dewan Jones, but he's ignoring injuries. I mean, Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller, their guards, have been, you know, it's been them and Quentin Nelson, frankly, have been competing, you know, and Zach Martin in Dallas maybe, competing for the highest-graded guard the last, like, five-plus years um, in the NFL as well. And neither guy has played all that well. Ethan Pochich, the center, is taking a ton of penalties. Um, has just not been as good in the run game as he was last year. A lot of reaching, a lot of grabbing jerseys, and it's, get, it's putting them back into, you know, first and 20s. And this offense right now is not going to convert, you know, that long of series. So the offensive line just needs to play better. You know, they have, a, they have a former top 10 pick in Jedrick Wills at left tackle, uh, you know, had his fifth-year option picked up, and, and his top five for us in pressures allowed, has not played good football. So I, it's one of those uh, – this is how I always spoke about Indianapolis coming into this season – I'm not even sure it's so much like adding external talent or, or getting healthier. Sure, it's a part of it. It's also guys that you have that are good football players just playing you know, at, at a higher level. How screwed are the Giants right now with Daniel Jones? It's as ugly as it could possibly be. And, and look, Jones was under pressure on around 50% of dropbacks last night. He's been at that level pretty much the entire season, which is completely, completely unsustainable. But he's also holding on to the ball way too long. Um, you know, he, he, he's running into pressure. He, I get why you leave clean pockets when you think you're going to get sacked on every single drop back, but he did bail on a couple of clean pockets last night. He, he had Wanda Robinson wide open uh, up the right seam on a play um, and, and was rolling out. I think took his eyes down and could have had a 60-yard gain, which would have been, I don't know, half their offense on the night if, if he connected on that pass. So the offensive line is terrible. There's no question about it, but, but they have just not schemed around it at all. Um, you know, a lot of static routes. Everyone's catching the ball, coming back to the football. You know, the few times where Wanda Robinson or Jalen Hyatt caught the ball with a head of steam going forward were the few successful plays they had. But, but yeah, his vision is off. He, he's slow through his progressions. Yes, he's a good athlete, but 
I mean, this offense might be the worst in the NFL for the first four weeks. It's a Brad Spielberger, a PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We've talked about Anthony Richardson and C.J. Stroud. What's been your first four weeks of the season impression on Bryce Young in Carolina? Yeah, so look, he himself has had issues, but you throw on their tape. I mean, they, their receivers are getting zero separation, um, and their offensive line also is, is top five for us in pressure rate allowed. Uh, I mean, he's getting hit. Uh, even when he does complete passes, he's getting hit every single time. Um, but look, it's been not that great, though. Even, even when he has had a clean pocket, I think he now is not trusting his eyes. I think, look, as bad as the receiving core is, I think it might be the worst in the NFL. He, he does have a little bit of, you know, waiting for guys to be college open. You know, Jamison Williams at Alabama open. Uh, and guys don't get Jamison Williams at Alabama open in the NFL. So I think a little bit more trust and uncorking the ball early. You know, trusting that DJ Chark or Adam Thielen are going to win some of those contested catches. But, but like I said, you, you watch the film, and, and there's no guy with any separation whatsoever. Um, it, it's just been not a lot of easy routes for him, not a lot of scheming things up and getting him, you know, play action, quick, thing, quick throws to the flat, and, and screens to Jonathan Mingo, who was dominant uh, on short area stuff in college at Ole Miss. It's just nothing is going well for that offense uh, in Carolina. Well, and let's look at the Raiders, too. Of local interest, Aiden O'Connell out of Purdue has worked his way up from a walk-on to starting an NFL game. And he probably did go through a little bit of a Khalil Mack nightmare, um, certainly um, over the weekend in that loss to the Chargers. I'm curious, what did he look like to you? And I've had a lot of people, I don't know if it's just Purdue fans saying this for the sake of Aiden O'Connell, but a lot of people were suggesting the offensive game plan was absolutely whack. How would you look at his first start in the NFL for the Raiders in that loss Sunday? Yeah, I mean, look, he was, our, I think, our highest-graded quarterback in the entire preseason. I mean, he was first, then Kenny Pickett was second, so it probably tells you how much signal we, we should be taking from that. But nevertheless, like, he looked really, really good in the preseason. I thought he was decisive. He got the ball out quickly in this game. I mean, look, the game plan probably was not great. I have not watched the All-22 yet, but I remember watching the broadcast, and he was holding on to the ball forever. Um, uh, uh, some of, the, you know, of those seven sacks, I think three or four, as I'm watching in real time, I'm like, that's as much his fault as it is the offensive line. I mean, look, Khalil Mack did burn uh, Jermaine Illuminor around the edge a couple times, but but I think three of his six sacks I would define as cleanup sacks where, you know, he, he was pushed around the end, the ball should have been out, and, 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 you know, Khalil Mack is 12, 13 yards behind the play, turns back around and runs and hits Aiden O'Connell in the back. Like, that's – you can't really blame the offensive line for all of those sacks and pressures. So, he'll get better. It's his first start, but – you know, I, it was, you know, look, Tim Howell's done it. Uh, you know, J- Justin Fields is still doing it. Like, young quarterbacks do it all the time. You just got to get, get rid of that ball sooner. What are you writing about out of Brooklyn, New York this week, Brad? Yeah, yeah. I just released an article this morning uh, for Bears fans, I suppose, uh, how to fix Chicago and what to do going forward for them. Uh, always covering gambling and everything else throughout the entire weekend. So, yeah, check it all out at PFF.com. What's a big gambling story this weekend? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> you weren't prepared for it. My bad. I'm sorry. No, all good. All good. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of a weird slate. I, you know, I think the, the big story for me might be some of the movement we've seen. And now Vegas, I think, is adjusting their priors from preseason. So just one example for me, you know, the Atlanta Falcons, they are a field goal underdog to Detroit and a field goal underdog to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And both of those games, I said, I'm not sure what Vegas is watching. This team is way worse than a field goal, um, you know, compared to two teams that probably should be in the playoffs. 
They're now home underdogs against the Houston Texans. So I think you're going to start to see the, 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 game, the sports books tend to kind of hold off a little bit, don't overreact to the first couple of weeks. But now I think you see the pendulum swing, and you're going to see how they value you know, some teams going forward. Is Vegas readjusted anything year-long-wise in terms of the Colts and how they played so far? Uh, absolutely. I think being a favorite you know, at opening against the Rams well, was a big deal. Again, the Rams were not seen to be a great team coming into the year. And, yes, they were coming off a poor game against the Cincinnati Bengals, but their offense was efficient and looked good against the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, they, they were dominant against the Seattle Seahawks, who got off to a slow start, but obviously you know, had 11 sacks last night. So it's a pretty good defense, or it should be going forward. And so I think Indy being a favorite there already was them you know, kind of adjusting and saying, hey, this team is not as bad as maybe we thought. Um, I, I think there was, that was a notable spread to me. All right, Brett, I appreciate it as always. You have a great week, and we'll check in again next Tuesday. Thank you, brother. Sounds great. Sounds great. Thank you. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Friend of the show, Greg Rakestraw, with a fantastic request in David Bowie's Let's Dance on Saturday night. Well done. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. Um, we'll start. Were you as disappointed? And I know you did the post-game show, the fifth quarter huddle, you and Bill on Sunday. Two things. Disappointed in, in just the lackluster start, which led basically throughout the first half. And the defense overall, because the defense that we had seen, and especially the defense that we had seen become aggressive in that game against Lamar Jackson and Baltimore taking advantage of what they didn't have on an offensive line, which led to me to a win in Baltimore that they weren't more aggressive against the guy that probably needed a cane or certainly a golf cart to get around late in that second half on Sunday. Uh, I thought they were disappointed in the lackluster start period because that's what cost them the game amongst anything else. Um, and I would say that despite his uh, his old man status and clearly injured status at the end of the game, Stafford did a great job of effectively moving around in the pocket. And I can think of when EJ Speed comes in there without a finger being laid on him and still Matthew Stafford finds a way to complete the pass and move the chains for the first down. So you can be upset with the Colts at the lackluster start. There's also something to acknowledging, hey, the McVay guy can really coach, and the Stafford guy can really play. Um, and that maybe all of us, a lot that we talk about the Rams on a regular basis around here, I think a lot, a lot of folks have thought, all right, you know, their, their window has closed. Uh, they still got some talented players, and, 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 and they played well against the Colts on Sunday afternoon. So Greg Grayster on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So I've gone ahead and, and coined it already here because the Colts have a one in their own building in their last seven tries, which is bad. Uh, it seems like certainly in recent history, Tennessee has had the ultimate ownership of the Colts in this particular AFC South rivalry. And just given the circumstances altogether, putting that together, this makes this game a must win for the Colts on Sunday. Does it not? Week five well, must it win? It is you, and it is a day that ends in Y. So, yes. Oh, I, have, I haven't win. done this in a while, though, buddy. Not in a while. Um, I've been saving them up. Yeah. This is this is a big one. I agree with you on that front. Um, because, again, if, if, if you had found a way to, you know, just win from the start, but let alone you got the ball back after coming from 23 points down, and you go three and out with 90 seconds left to go. Could you imagine the conversation we're having today if they win that football game exactly on sun, on, on yep. Sunday afternoon? Yep. Uh, because after after week two and week three, 
you know, we're kind of having that 2012 vibe of, hey, when nobody had expectations, everything seems to be clicking in for this football team. Now, Katie, bar the door, not exactly the greatest schedule in the world. Hey, this team can make a run. It is still possible. I'll remind people that when the Indianapolis Colts won 11 games and Andrew Luck's rookie year and Chuck Pagano's first year and Ryan Grigson's first year, pretty sure they started two and three and then won like six or seven games consecutively. So to some degree, they're, they're ahead of the game. So I, I think for this team to truly have a surprisingly wonderful season, Sunday's game is a must win. Everybody's in first place in the division right now. If you're a game back after Sunday, maybe you're still playing with house money to a certain degree. But for this team to make a run at a postseason bid, a win Sunday would go an awful long way. And you also look at it in terms of, of what you have seen. And then we also talked about this schedule. And that becomes more magnified now because that schedule looks even more winnable than we thought it was with a team that we we hadn't really seen yet and kind of wondered about. The, the schedule's incredibly winnable now, so you get those thoughts. And I think those thoughts for Colts fans, it's twofold here. It is good for them to have those thoughts, and I think they're legitimate at this point of the season yeah. when you look at it moving forward. Do I think the Colts are a great team? No. Are they a bad team? No. Are they maybe a little better than we thought they were going to be? Yes. Um, and... Everything for those teams that are somewhere in the minimal, somewhere in the middle, comes down to a play or two, and that's what Sunday afternoon came down to was a play or two. If you're going to do that and you find a way to make those plays, you can truly have a difference maker of the season, and I think that's attainable for this football team. Jonathan Taylor, is there any way, shape, or form you would believe that he runs out on that field ready to play at some point on Sunday? I think it would be a stretch, um, and they're going to have a walkthrough tomorrow, not really a practice. Um, they're going to practice Thursday, and again, Friday practices are nothing more than glorified walkthroughs anyway. Um, I know he's been working on his own while at the complex the last three or four weeks. I think it is, I think it is much more uh, a likelihood that he sees some snaps next week. Again, he's going to play sooner than later. He's got to get that clock ticking in terms of being on the active roster uh, for free agency status to just kind of accelerate the process and not be stuck in limbo for another year. He's going to play at some point in time, but I think that's a heck of an ass to come out and be able to play, even if a limited number of snaps after not having seen any action in training camp or the first four weeks of the season. Do you believe this to be a slam dunk that upon his return and his acclimation to this team again, that he's going to be able to to pick up where a lot of us expect him and production-wise the numbers that he would put up. I'm not talking about through an injury-riddled season of yeah. a year ago, even though he did still put up with those those injuries and such. You know, numbers conducive to a, a playmaker and a big-time player. Do you expect that now with this group moving forward once he reacclimates to the situation? I, I think you put in a very important qualifier there. Give him a couple of weeks to get ready. Um and again, I, I think the off, is the offensive line playing the level that they did in 2021 when he had that amazing season? Probably not. But again, for him to be able to play off a quarterback like Anthony Richardson, who will draw so much attention from the defense because of his ability to run the football, uh, I, I think that could lead to some massive plays and some big numbers for Taylor 
if he stays healthy, if he gets, you know, three quarters of the workload that he got two years ago with this football team. Just playing off of Richardson alone, I think, is a massive difference maker for him. So, Greg Gregstraw, the postgame show host, that is the Colts' fifth quarter huddle. Get to a little high school football in a second. I don't know how much college football we'll talk about. I guess we could talk about Notre Dame and Purdue, but other than the offensive or the uh, the OC position in Bloomington, when that changed on Sunday, I don't know how much in depth you want to get on that. But I do want to hit this IU basketball note. What do you think about the IU Kentucky, I should say, rivalry coming back in 2025? So 2025, 2026, 27, and 28. Rupp, Lucas Oil Stadium, Rupp Arena again in Assembly Hall. You love it that it's back? I'm glad they got it done. Um, again, I, I even if it required IU to have a bit of a give there and say, all right, you're coming to Bloomington once in four years and not two, um, I would rather them do this and have – you know, instead of meeting 50-50 in the middle, it's 52-48 in favor of Kentucky. So what? Basketball fans win. These two are playing each other again. Uh, this was an ignorant 10-year pissing match. That it was. has gone by the wayside. That's beautiful. That's, I love the way you put it, ignorant. Very ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, a lot of the, and a lot of the ignorance wasn't on the side of the Hoosiers, okay? The ignorance, as per usual, came from the other side of the Ohio River. But finally, it's been taken care of, and these were playing each other as they should be. Oh, one time, Ernest T. Bass was thinking himself as no account, and Andy Griffith reminded him that, you know what, Ernest T., you're not no account. You're just uh, ignorant. So, ignorant. <laughs> I like the way that you put that. Greg Rakestraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. High school football, I mean, we're going down the stretch run right now. In this regular season, and uh, certainly this weekend, you got some big games. What stands out to you? Connell Warren Central is the game that I have, and I think both teams are kind of rebuilding uh, a little bit. Ben Davis and LC. Ben Davis really has, you know, you know kind of kind of the, the the mix, you know, taken care of at this point with two games left to go against Lawrence Central and then North Central. Uh, the fact that Ron Colley and Cathedral are playing each other again is a wonderful thing. Cathedral's a little bit down. Ron Colley's probably a whole lot down uh, by their standards this year. So it's great that they're playing, much like IU and Kentucky. I'm not sure that game would have had the impact would have had last year uh, or in years gone by. But the story simply is, John, we're to playoff times in a couple of weeks. I mean, the pairing show is Sunday night, and with it being, you know, 92 degrees outside, that's what my car tells me. You don't think it's postseason time, but really it is. Uh, and, and for the 1A and 4A guys, it's two weeks from this Friday. For the 5A and 6A, it, it, you know, you, you get a little more time. You get a little more time to kind of reset, get that bye week rest up and prepare a little bit. For the 1A through 4A guys, man, uh, there's no break. You're playing, uh, and the end of the season gets on you quickly uh, at times in the 1A through 4A classifications. By the time we get to Monday morning when it's around 39 degrees, it'll feel that way. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, rocking the hooded sweatshirt uh, as part of my uh, gear on Friday night for Warren Central and Carmel, believe me. All right. So, again, this is a must win on Sunday, and I'm going to make the call right now. I think the, the roof and the window open on Sunday afternoon for the Titans, yes or no? Uh, and I know a lot of people have said, "Hey, it is a it is a perfect day outside." Why is the roof closed? I, I, I get it because it was not a perfect day in what the Colts believe is a perfect day. That's not a perfect day for them. I think Sunday is right. 
and 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 if you're the, the circulation when you open the roof in Lucas Oil is simply not great. So whatever whatever the 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 outside temperature is, if you're in the lower bowl of the stadium, add to, add about ten degrees to that, and you're probably looking at it being maybe a little toasty for those you know on the field in the lower bowl, et cetera. With the forecast high being you know sunny and sixty on Sunday or in that neighborhood. That's perfect, especially for two teams who I think are going to want to bludgeon each other by running the football primarily during the course of the game. Um, I was joking with Bill Brooks that, you know, we may have the postgame show by 345 on Sunday afternoon because this is going to be Derrick Henry right, Zach Moss left, quarterback keepers occasionally throwing the football. That game might fly on Sunday afternoon. But, yes, I would expect the route to be open on Sunday. Yeah, the Titans have not been uh, any good whatsoever on the road, been good at home, and the Colts just need a breakthrough. It's been way too long. And they didn't have any business losing seven consecutive at home as they did on Sunday. They have zero business, you know, making it eight at home at Lucas Oil Stadium. That's going to stir some echoes nobody wants stirred. Well, I would hope that, uh, and, and again, you and I have done this long enough that we kind of think back to, all right, yeah. what's the last time you felt like this? Or what's the last time you went through a window like this? And and, and first year of the AFC South, the Titans still had their way with the Colts. In 2003, there was a, a, a significant and physical win the Colts had against the Titans, and it kind of set the rivalry in Indy's favor for the basically the next 15 years. Uh, and, and perhaps you're looking at a moment like that come Sunday afternoon. Well, hopefully, must win, must win, and then I'm going to reserve the right to must win that thing up in Week Six with Jacksonville down there. Thirteen more must wins queued up for the rest of this season. But the only not must win is on November the 19th when they play Brigham Young East. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't must win it last year because it was such a circus. There was no reason, but the must win. Is going to be back. All right. Greg, I appreciate it. I will be looking for your call on a fantastic Saturday night. By the way, of course, you'll, you'll get it. Um, yeah. I, I haven't thought about this since the last time the Colts played internationally. You know, I, I literally had an office just down the hall from you in the studio. Sure. Are you going to Germany the second week of, of November? I don't believe I am. Uh, I don't believe I am. I'm not sad Is about it either. I don't really know if. Over? Yeah, I don't really know if I. Like. You talked me into, and rightly so, and London was an awesome time. I'm so glad I attended that. Frankfurt, Germany in the second week of November uh, doesn't really uh, bring too much arousal to me, if you know what I mean. It does nothing for your Wiener schnitzel? No, no. I mean, London London in the first, what, weekend of October was outstanding. Love that. So. All right, I'll make sure they ask you for, for a better date next time. And I believe that may be either the next to last or the last Jam V takeover before the Christmas music is underway. At least it's one of the, the last the, couple. the holiday hiatus as well. You, you can't miss that. You can't miss The holiday hiatus is not too far away. Appreciate you, Greg. See you, buddy. All right, 45 too many. We'll get to that right now and obviously Colts conversation. Bob Kravitz, who joins us, the columnist, friend of the show, and in case you did not know, loves Frenchie's Pub in Morgantown, Indiana. Hello, Bob. <laughs> are, they, are they still waiting for us to come back? They do want us to come back. They love us. They loved you. Yeah. They loved I, you. You may have been a little bit mortified at the beginning, but they loved you nonetheless. No, I was mortified pretty much the entire time we were there. <laughs> I, I thought I thought I thought terrible things were going to happen. 
And, oh, not uh, on my watch, brother. Come on now. Oh, man. You're, you're people, baby. I love them. I like. Yeah, I told them too. They're I've, really good guys. I've got to do a uh, a tavern tour stop down there sometime. So oh, that would be that would be out of control. Yeah, I'd probably have to sleep in the car for that one, but that'd be all right, even though I'm not too far away. Uh, musings the of an old. Of, what's that? Yeah, go ahead. I'm playing. Musings go. of an old sports writer, Bob Kravitz. You can find him on Substack.com/slash at Bob Kravitz. Now, honestly, that was a great night we had nearly two weeks fun. ago down there. So I'm glad you went. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for getting the tickets. Uh, I never thought that I would see uh, the psychedelic furs in this lifetime, but now I can say that I have. And and Squeeze squeeze was terrific. I'm telling you. And I I just like sitting back in those easy chairs and kind of chilling. That was the best part. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Can I bring you another beer? Yeah. Christian Webb, shout out to Brown County Music yeah, Center. So that absolutely. was a good time. Christopher Cross, by the way, on Saturday down there, which would be uh, equally a good time. So um, somebody had asked me if I'm on drugs, and it, I said, well, it depends on what day you're talking about. But right. um, I have said 45 wins for this Pacer team. That's where I'm going to set Ooh. my over-under. Is that too robust? Yeah, it's a little robust for my for my taste. Okay. Uh, I, think, I, I think they're going to be right around 500. You know, I, I think I, I think a, a four or five. What did they have last year? Thirty-seven. Thirty-five. So they're thirty-five. So I think you know a five-six win improvement. You know, if they can just you know, right in there, last year they were uh, next to last uh, in points per game allowed, one hundred nineteen and a half. If they can just be somewhere in in the teens or you know the top twenty somewhere they can do some pretty significant things, but yeah, 45, uh, a 10 game improvement seems a little robust to me. I would, what is the over under on in Vegas? Do you well, have check to- that out, James, really quick while I talk and I'll give you my theory on it. It's because you okay. go back two years ago and they won 25 and then hit that up by 10 in a season in which many had written off before it started last year, winning 35. And I just think right. the logical next step to take is another 10 to 45, which you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't put them to me in the top four in the East whatsoever, but no. it, it makes them a very competitive team throughout. James, have you looked that up? What is the over-under on the Pacers? Give me one second. Win total. James is still... Still uh, looking that up. Now, while he looks that up, I want you to answer this. Of those new Pacers, as far as either the starting lineup or the bench is concerned, who most excites you? Again, that new, fresh player in. Why is that? Obi Toppin. Just because he's exciting. I mean, he, he's a high flyer. He, he, he plays you know way above the rim. He's above the backboard, for God's sake. Um, I just think he's a guy – a little bit like some of the players they brought in here before who were pretty good players who didn't get a lot of opportunities and then come to Indiana and suddenly find themselves in the starting lineup and getting significant minutes. So I think, look, I think Bruce Brown's going to be terrific. But just uh, for entertainment's value, I can't wait to see Obi Toppin. And you're talking about Toppin, Halliburton, and Bruce Brown being three of the best players in transition in the NBA. Um, so 
I think this is going to be a team that's going to score and score like crazy. They've just got to be better defensively, and they've got to be better on the on the boards. He is a Bob Kravitz with us. All right, James, what do you say? Uh, I'm seeing 38.5. Oh, my. I'm oh, really I'll off the pace the, then. I'll, I'll, I'll take the over on that. I, I think I think they're about a 500 team, a little bit better maybe. Um, I think – you know, either they make the they squeeze in the playoffs, or they get into a play-in game, or you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is a really intriguing team. I think Matherin's going to take a step uh, as a two-way player. I see no reason why your your guy Miles can't continue to to produce the way he did last year. Uh, Halliburton is, is Halliburton. I mean, he's just you know he's the face of the franchise. And I like their bench too. I, I like I like the the defensive, you know, uh, edge that 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 group has with Neesmith and with Andrew Nemhard, assuming they do come off the bench. And that would be my my safe assumption at this point. Yeah, I believe in training camp the the first day of training camp the starting lineup was Halliburton, Brown, Toppin, Matherin, and Miles, which right. would lead Heald and Walker and Nimhard and all that you also mentioned coming off the right. bench. Jalen Smith. The, the, yeah, the Heald situation is really interesting, but you know, it's funny it's kind of, it's kind of an anti uh Jonathan Taylor situation in the sense that um you know there's there's no bad feelings excuse my voice there's no bad feelings um you you don't worry about healed acting up or acting out while you know this contract is trying to while they're trying to hammer out this contract so um i i think uh you know for as long as they keep buddy healed great I mean, he is a, an awesome teammate. He's durable. He's productive. He's everything you want. And I think he's willing to come off the bench. I don't blame him for wanting one last big payday at the age of uh, 30 or 31. So I don't blame him, blame him at all. But I also don't blame the Pacers because they're still a couple of years away. And if they can get uh, some, some you know, future uh, assets, that's fine. I mean, I would prefer to see them keep them. Honestly, me too. Uh, me too. Yeah, I, I just think, you know, you know, people say, well, he's thirty and all that, but he's a shooter, and shooters don't decline the way other guys do. I mean, if you can shoot, you can shoot till you're, you know, thirty-seven, thirty-eight. Damn so, right, you can. Yeah, and you know, look at you. Yes. I mean, you're you're a hundred freaking years old. Hundred years still, old. I'm approaching that right now. Yeah, you're still lighting it up. So, no, I'd like to see them keep him, but I understand why they probably won't. I, my point was this, and I agree exactly, Bob, with what you said uh, about Buddy Hield and wanting to keep him around here. But my, my point was as well, you mentioned the defense. And while it has to be better, you'd expect it because that's got to be a focus to get better. I think what happens is if you take his threat away, his shooting away at an elite level, his makeability away and his threat away, then I think you take away some of their points per game. And I, I don't think they're going to be able to make that being taken away up on the defensive end. Thus, 
I just think that that would be a bad decision all the way around. And I agree with you. I, I, I think he's somebody that should be a part of this organization for the foreseeable future because he has, he has to me, uh, something that is at the top of the list of values in this era of the NBA. And he's not just a three-point shooter. He's a three-point elite-level maker. And he has defenses scramble, rotationally speaking, when he's on the floor, regardless of what he is doing. That is huge in winning basketball games and something I would not want to see the paces relax and let go no I, I wouldn't either and and you know look i i understand you know that the the contract negotiations are as chad buchanan said the other day at a halt um you know but i, I think buddy healed as a sixth man would be a really intriguing uh spot for him you know he he played there uh toward the end of last season when, when it was kind of a lost cause they put Matherin in, I think, the last 10, 11 games as a starter. But uh, I think Buddy Heald, as kind of a designated shooter coming off the bench, would be dynamite. So I'd love to see that. But, you know, if they can't keep him, I understand because, you know, there's only so much you want to pay this guy at, at this point in his career and at the point this point in the development of the Indiana Pacers. So Bob Kravitz again joining us. Substack.com slash at Bob Kravitz. I know you get a run here in about 10 minutes or so, but I wanted to dive into the Colts on Sunday. But first, the return of Jonathan Taylor. How do you think this is all going to look? I, I've kind of, at least in my vision, storybooked this up, and I've whined and cried about the potential that he would give this team and the growth of of Anthony Richardson as a 21-year-old quarterback, I've made it such to where that's what I really do hope to see. With him coming back and producing at a high level, which many also expect, is that too storybook for this situation? Well, I, you know, let's let's see what happens when he gets activated. Uh, I'm not all Pollyanna on this just yet. I don't feel like I have as good a a hold of this or a good sense of this as I thought I did. Uh, but uh, it's, he, he, excuse my voice. I just keep losing my voice. He, he, he needs to come back and, and show, show them something. I'll tell you what, my voice is going. Can we, can we you, do this? Another you, need, time? you need to bail. Are you all right? Yeah, I need to bail. My voice is just uh, <laughs> going in and out. It's the weirdest thing. All right, All right then. We'll, 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 we'll keep trying. You got we'll it, buddy. No, 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 no. Well, I'll go ahead and let you go. Yeah, rest that bad right. boy. It's okay. Right. We can come back Sounds, and do it some other time. It's, a, right, it's a Bob Laryngitis Kravitz with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pile Line. 